course, that song is bringing forth an exceptional truth from the Bible. If we could only see where we're headed, things would be different as we live and fight the battles of the day. I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And this chapter... uh, If you uh, do your Bible reading by the chapters, is one of those ones that you kind of dread because Matthew chapter 13 is an exceptionally long chapter uh, in the book of Matthew anyway. And you say, wow, I've I've got to get through this whole thing. And sometimes we we read through uh, quickly trying to... uh, uh, finish uh, our reading, and we skip over some of the great truths that are here, and I I trust that we wouldn't do that, but this morning, if you want a a title, it's, it's just simply Truths Concerning the Kingdom of Heaven. Now, when Jesus uses that phrase, uh, the Kingdom of Heaven, He's talking about His Kingdom. He's talking about where He rules and reigns. And, of course, there's two aspects to that kingdom. There is the present kingdom that is in the hearts and lives of believers. I mean, if I were to ask you, do you want Jesus ruling and reigning in your heart? I would say the majority of people would lift their hand and say, that's me. I I want Jesus to be in control. Until you get a letter from the IRS. And then it's, what am I going to do? Well, wait a minute. If Jesus is in control, then we've got to go to Him for wisdom. Amen? When someone treats us in a way that is just over the top, we might say, or ridiculous or uncalled for or very hurtful, Wait, wait a minute. If Jesus is ruling and reigning, where do we go? Now, please don't raise your hand, but how many of you have done something just plain old-fashioned stupid this past week? Uh, where are you going to go? The only place you can get things right, back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And Jesus gives us the reason for these parables, and, and we've got to understand something. If He is really ruling and reigning in our hearts, that's where our allegiance is, that's where our authority is, that's where everything that we do has to go back that way. Now, we do understand there's a future aspect to this kingdom when we will be past this veil of tears, this life which we live here on this earth, and Jesus will rule and reign, and the Bible tells us that if you're saved, you will rule and reign with Him. In Revelation chapter 5, He said that He has made us kings and priests unto our God. Actually, I think it's priests and kings. But we come here to this... Uh, chapter, and Jesus is giving us truth about the kingdom. That means these truths are going to apply to us in our daily living, and yet there is a truth that holds future for when we are gathered together with Him in heaven in that kingdom where He rules and reigns. 
when that last hymn we sang uh, says, when we see Christ, uh, I mean, how many are looking forward to that day? But I'll tell you, we need the special song that was sung too. Because if you start allowing yourself to think about the world and its allures and start surrendering your service for Christ, I'll tell you what, you're going to have regrets when we get there. And so I want those two ideals in mind. One, the kingdom of God where He rules and reigns in our hearts and the coming kingdom where He will rule and reign on this earth. And He gives us an explanation. I mean, uh, you... Sometimes people say, Pastor, your, your, your preaching is kind of different, but let me tell you something. Jesus is preaching. We're going to go through some parables today. And Jesus did not give the explanation to everyone. He only gave that to the disciples. And, and we're going to pay attention, but before we get into the stories themselves, Jesus is going to tell us the reason why the parables are there, and I think it will help us here. Start reading with me in verse 10. You read silently as you see it as I read aloud. And the disciples came and said unto him, unto Jesus, Why speakest thou unto them, the people, in parables? Jesus, he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, see not, and hearing, They hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. So the disciples come to Jesus after he has given the first parable here, and and they say, Lord, why are you just telling stories? Why, uh, why don't you uh, make things plain to us? We're, we're not sure where you're going. And, and the fact that Jesus is going to explain these parables in just a few minutes tells us that the disciples had no more idea what Jesus was speaking about than anyone else. He had to explain it to them. And Jesus gives us the reasons here. He says, those that are have are going to get more. Those that don't have are going to lose everything. 
Now, when I read that, I think of a phrase that is used often in our society today. The rich get what? Richer and the poor get poorer. I mean, I I don't know what I was listening to some news broadcast as I was driving on some errands. and, And they were using that phrase to describe what is going on in our society today, that the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer and and um I guess their answer is to make the rich poor so everybody will be poor. I haven't quite figured that one out yet. But Jesus is talking about spiritual things here. He says, listen, the reason I'm speaking in parables are so that those that have, those that are spiritually aware of what's going on, that have understanding, will understand more. And they will have in abundance. They will know what God is speaking and how He's directing us. And those that are confused and don't understand, they're just going to be more confused and understand less. Now, you see, parables, and we don't have time to go through all of this. Uh, 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 a while back, we did a whole study on parables, but parables are not fables. Uh, this is not Aesop's fables uh, that are just made-up stories that have a hidden truth put in them. Uh, parables had a, a two-edged sword. You see, they were real stories That really did happen, and Jesus was taking this real story, and it cuts both ways. Those that have understanding are going to get more. Those that don't want to have more spiritual understanding, don't want to be drawn closer to God, are going to get less. They're going to be the same thing that gives Sight and understanding to those that want it is going to confuse and confound those that don't. Now, I want to challenge you. Only Jesus had the wisdom to use parables. I mean, we have great men who have used allegory and writers, but let, let me tell you something. When... Jesus was giving these stories, he was accomplishing things in every life of every person hearing the story. He was either drawing them closer to himself or he was pushing them farther away. You see, this idea of the happy, smiley-faced God that just wants everybody to go to heaven is not in your Bible. God wants everyone to go. But if you'll read those words that we just read, he said they have fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. And that, by the way, comes from Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah had the vision of the Lord high and lifted up in the temple. And the Lord said, who's going to go for me? And Isaiah said, Lord, I'm not worthy. And he said, I'll make you worthy. You can go for me. But I want to tell you something. They're going to hear you, Isaiah. 
but they're not going to understand. They're going to receive your message, but it's not going to do them any good. You see, they've already made a decision in their heart that they're not going to follow me. Now, see, he was talking about the nation of Israel. And we're in our Sunday school time. We're going through the book of Judges. And, and uh, Brother Jason brought out so well last week in, the, in our Sunday school time how that this idea of the children of Israel just going through a cycle really wasn't what was happening. It was getting a little worse every time. There was, there was ground being lost as they would fall away and stop following the Lord. They would go a little deeper into sin every time. And Jesus said, listen, I'm giving these parables because I've got a twofold purpose. Those who are willing to receive my message are going to get it. And those who want an excuse to miss out on the blessings and the love of God are going to have it. Are we together? And so as we go through these parables, and, and we're going to go through them very quickly, we're, uh, because in a summary fashion, because I, I want to cover the parables that are in this chapter, because we want to get the truths, the overall message that Jesus is trying to teach. He's teaching about things about the kingdom of heaven. Now, the first parable takes up the greatest amount of time here in the passage, and this is the parable of the sower. And let's just start in verse 3 and read through verse 9. It says, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon the stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears, let him hear. Now, how many of you are ready for the invitation? I mean, this is how Jesus preached. He just told them the story. Now, he explained to the disciples that part of the chapter that we've already been through. And then he goes back and he explains to them the parable. He said, listen, the field is the world. There's four different types of soil that are mentioned. We have the wayside. We have the stony ground. We have the thorny ground. And we have the good ground. But there's only one seed. And that seed is the words of God. Now, the response or the outcome... is determined by the type of ground that the seed falls on. 
this tells us that there is a determination that is going to be made, a natural result that, that is going to happen when the seed is sprinkled on the wayside. That was the pathway beside the field. Uh, they did not have the McCormick planters. In any, does anybody even know what a McCormick planter is here? Okay, one person, a couple people studied um, farmery, farm machinery. But uh, it actually it was a machine that was invented in uh, the last century, the late 1800s, that would poke a hole in the ground and put seeds in. And so you could drag that machine behind the uh, animals and it would plant your seeds and you didn't lose seed. In this day and time, you would just basically uh, loosen the top layer of the soil And you would broadcast, or you would take your seed in a bag, and you would sprinkle it in the field, and then you would rake it back over and and hope and and pray that that uh, uh, seed would take root. Well, as you were broadcasting or sprinkling, some of it would go over the edge of the field into the pathway. How many of you have ever seen them plant grass anywhere in the city? What do they do? They put straw over top of it. How many of you know why they do that? Because if they don't, the birds will come down and dig through the soil and pick out the seeds and you don't get anything growing. Well, this seed that was laying on the side there, the birds came down and they ate it. And Jesus said, listen, here's what happens. There are some people... That God's Word is sprinkled on their life. And before there's any hope of anything happening, the devil comes and takes it out. That's just what happens. Is that the sower's fault? No. Is that the seed's fault? Uh, No. The inference here is that that is a choice that was made in the heart of that person before the seed was applied. Have you ever met somebody like that? Passing out tracks? I don't need that! My favorite is this. Bible! (laughs) I just love messing up people's day. Uh, But the simple truth of the matter is they've already hardened themselves and they think that somehow they're going to be damaged. I mean, I've had some people look at me. I said, listen, it won't hurt you. And they look at me kind of funny. It's the Bible. It's God's Word. One time somebody was looking at me. I said, it's not Jehovah's Witnesses. He said, but I am a witness. I said, oh, too bad. Um, the, The simple truth is, there's a lot of things that can harden your life to not receive God's Word. You make those choices each and every day. You know what? We have some wayside right here in this auditorium. People who have other interests, I, I don't know why they come. But I'm glad they keep coming. We're just going to keep throwing the seed and hopefully 
by God's grace, the Holy Spirit will get out the old pickaxe and start breaking up some dirt. Amen? The stony ground, as you would prepare your field, you would rake the rocks and the, and the hard parts and the things that just weren't conducive to growth. You would, you, would have, you would rake it down to the far end of the field and get it out of the way. And some seed would scatter on to that part. And boy, it'd grow up fast. You know why? Because the, the sun would heat the rocks under the soil and it was warm. Uh, the rocks would hold the moisture there. And so it just seemed like that seed, while it was little, had an abundance of everything. But once the sun came up, it dried up all the water and withered the plant because there were no roots that were going down into the good soil where the water always was. And he said, there are some people who hear the gospel. Look what it says. I'm sorry. Uh, in verse 21, 20, it says, But he that receiveth the seed into the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon or immediately with joy receiveth it, yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by, he is offended. They received the Bible, but something happens. Somebody offends them. Somebody injures them or says something mean to them. Or, or the Bible says, because of the word. There are some people, their family all gathers around them and says, you can't be like that. We're not going to have you join in some cult. Uh, I want to challenge you. This is not the cult. When you have to add somebody else's something to this, then you have a cult. See, a cult is man-centered. The Bible is God's Word. And so if the only book we use is the Bible, we're okay. But you see, people lie. They'll tell you, well, we believe the Bible. Good. Glad to hear it. But I give him a little bit of time said, but if you haven't had this book here, this book will really help you understand the Bible. All of a sudden, the red lights go off and the warning bells start buzzing. And I know that we're dealing with someone who's not dealing in truth. You know what? This book is very offensive. Because it tells you who and what you are. And if you're one of those people who says, oh, I, just, I just want to know everything about myself. You lie. You're not going to like what you find out because here's what the Bible says. It says your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Stop looking inside. Start looking in the Word. We, we live in a world of Facebook. I've heard people who are addicted to it. I wish I could get addicted to my face in the book. 
that would be the solution. Amen? That thorny ground. Now, you have to understand a little bit about agriculture. Thorns do not naturally grow in good, healthy soil. They like packed down, bad, weak, uh, nutrient deficient soil. That's what makes thorns grow big and sharp. So we got a problem with what's in the ground before the seed gets there. It supports the thorns, but it's going to hinder the growth of the wheat. And the Bible says those are people that receive the word and the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches become more important than the word of God and it chokes out the seed and it becomes unfruitful. I want to challenge you. Jesus, in explaining this parable to us, is telling us that three out of the four types of soil are not going to produce anything. The wayside, the birds get to eat. The stony ground the, the, is going to wither. And the thorns are going to choke out and there's not going to be any fruit produced. But then there's good seed, the good ground and the good seed get together and it produces, the Bible tells us, some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, and some a hundredfold. Now, a hundredfold is not a hundred times. A fold is what one seed should produce. So if you plant a kernel of corn, you get one ear of corn. A hundredfold would be one seed giving you a hundred ears of corn. That doesn't normally happen, all right? Uh, A good stalk of corn might give you three or four. Five or six would be extraordinary. But he says some of it's going to produce a hundredfold because God's word's powerful. Some of it's only going to produce 60. Some of it's going to produce 30. But I want you to understand it's still doing 3,000% better than it ought to do. Somebody ought to be smiling. Because we look down on this 30-fold and say, I, I want to be one of them 100-fold people. Hey, let, let me tell you, the bottom of the barrel here is still a 3,000% better than normal. When God's Word does its work in your heart, it's extraordinary. See, everybody who was listening to Jesus' story would have understood this. The disciples, when he explained it to them, we have to take 20 minutes to get where the disciples got in five. Because none of us know what planting seed and growing things and all of that. It's not ordinary for us. I mean, some of us have gardens, but no one here has ever had to live 
off of what you could grow in your field. I mean, that's maybe in another country, but not here in New York City. You couldn't grow it. And if you did, it probably wouldn't be worth eating uh, because of all the things that might be attached to it. But the, the simple truth is Jesus is trying to help uh, the disciples understand something. He said, the kingdom of God is like this. You know what that means? Now, in this present time, God's Word is going to have different effect in different people's lives. What is my responsibility? Sow the seed. You know what? I better make sure I have the right seed. There's only one seed. i got to get it from God. Different people are going to react different ways. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to sow the seed. It is the seed's responsibility to grow, and it will grow. Even in the thorny ground, it will grow. But it's not going to produce anything. It will grow in the rocky soil, but it's not going to produce anything. And at least the birds are going to get food on the wayside. See, God even takes care of the pigeons. Amen? But what He wants us to do is to sow the seed. That's why we support missions. So we can sow the seed where we cannot go. Amen? That's why we pass out tracts. So we can sow the seed in our own neighborhood. That's why you should talk to people at work. Don't take the boss's time to witness. That's thievery. But take advantage of opportunities that God gives you. Amen? Because you've got to sow the seed. Guess what? You're going to be with family. Sow the seed. That's your responsibility. The work that the seed does, that's God's responsibility. But I want to challenge you that when a soul gets saved, it's an extraordinary work. But some people get saved and serve. Some people get saved and serve a lot. And we can praise God for what happens in every life because the seed is doing its job. Amen? And when we get to heaven, we're going to be rewarded according to what the seed produces in our life. And you remember what Jesus did when he had the the parable? Later, he gave the talents, and the one guy took Five and made ten. Another guy took two and made uh, five out of it or something like that. I can't remember the exact numbers. Two and made four. And God gave the same reward to both. It was the one that had the one and kept it and did nothing with it that endured the judgment of God. Let's be faithful in planting that seed. Let's go to the next story, verse 31. Another parable put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened to a grain of mustard... I'm sorry, I skipped one. Verse 24. 
Another parable he put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. So here we have another story about sowing. A man sowed good seed in a good field. And while he slept and no one was watching, an enemy came and threw in tares. Now, tares we would know as weeds. But those that study the uh, horticulture and that of the day tell us that the tare and the weed looked exactly the same as they were growing up. How many of you have ever planted corn? You know, corn... when it's very small, just a few inches tall, looks exactly like Johnson grass. Now, how many people know what Johnson grass is? That's the big, wide-bladed grass that grows and messes up your beautiful green lawn. Unless you live in Florida, that's the only kind of grass that will grow. And uh, you don't want to lay down in a yard of Johnson grass. It'll cut you up like a bucket of razor blades. I mean, it is just not pleasant stuff. But I remember as a little boy out there, my dad had a big uh, uh, place. And and, uh, it was probably about twice the size of this auditorium. And we had it full of corn. And he caught me weeding the corn. The only problem was I was pulling up the corn. Because it looked just like Johnson grass. And my dad got very upset at me. And uh, he said, you got to learn to tell the difference. Well, as the tares and the wheat grew together, if we took time to finish reading the entire narrative here, we'll find out that they didn't, could not tell that the tares were tares until the fruit began to appear. Immediately, the workers come into the owner of the field and said, Listen, we put good seed in that field. Why is it full of weeds? And the owner immediately came back. An enemy did this. Someone who wanted to hurt our harvest did this. They said, should we go get out the weeds? And he said, if you get out the weeds, you're going to uproot the good wheat. It'll never grow right. Leave them both grow together. On harvest day, we're going to separate them. We're going to burn the tares, and we're going to harvest the wheat. Well, guess what? Jesus said, the field is the world. The wheat are the children of the kingdom. The tares are the children of the devil. That good seed was sown. But right along with it, there was some bad seed sown. You know what he's telling us? It's not your job. To investigate whether someone else is saved or not. What we do is we give the gospel. We, I don't know that we hardly have a service that we don't explain how to be saved in. I hope you don't get so used to hearing that you ignore the truth. Getting saved is 
stopping everything that you can do to make yourself pleasing to God and putting your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Somebody said, it is finished. You finally got the work done. That's not why that is there. That is there because we need to be reminded that when Jesus was on the cross, He said, it is finished. And it's an amazing thing to me that Jesus said it was finished on the cross. And 90% of what we call religion today are people trying to finish the work that Jesus said he took care of. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, people are still trying to be good enough to please God. Trying to do enough good works. Trying. Striving. To be good. And and my question always is, and no one wants to think about it today. How good is good, my friend? How many of the Ten Commandments and how often do you have to keep them in order to go to heaven? But how many of you have ever done something wrong trying to do something right? Join the human race. You see, we still have our sin. That's why we have to put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and nothing else. Say, what about baptism? Baptism doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Baptism is like your birth certificate. You wouldn't fill out the birth certificate until after the baby is born. Because you got to record when the baby was born. And the parents, and the date, and the time, and the poundage, and the inches, and, and the little footprint at the bottom, if you have one of the old ones, and, and all of those details. But they don't matter until after the baby is born. Amen? And your baptism doesn't matter till after you've been saved. Jesus said, let the tares and the wheat grow together. Don't go trying to uproot the tares. Because what you're going to do is you're going to mess up the wheat. So what do I do with the tares? You put up with them. Amen? You keep serving God. Because God is the one that's going to sort it out. Not you. You ought to say amen to that. That's a great responsibility and one that none of us should want. And God says, that's good because it's not yours, it's mine. I'll take care of that. You work on being a good fruit-producing plant. Now we come down to verse 31. It says, And another parable put he forth unto him, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now, if you pick up any commentary that tries to explain this, they're going to argue about what this plant is. 
Uh, I want to challenge you today. I have no idea what the plant is any more than anybody else, but I think Jesus probably had a pretty good idea of what he was talking about. Would you agree with me on that? And uh, we'll just let Jesus take care of what kind of plant it was. But what he said was, there's a little tiny seed, and when you put it in, it became a great big tree. And the birds of the air were able to build nests in this tree that was produced from a little tiny seed. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like that. Guess what? The kingdom of heaven is little and insignificant in the eyes of man. But when God does his work, you can rest your life on it. And it will produce life. The birds will bring forth life in this insignificant sea. The next parable is very uh, very similar to it. In fact, he gives us these parables pretty much in sets of two here until we get to the last one. It says, Another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leaven. Now, a measure uh, was a specific amount. It was roughly the amount of flour that it would take to sustain a person for a day. So, it's not just a handful uh, this would make enough bread for you to eat all day long, one measure. Now, ladies, how many of you have ever worked with leaven? Yeast. You made nice, light, beautiful, puffy bread. How many of you have ever had a problem where the yeast was not working? And you got this big lump of hard, dense wallpaper paste that you just baked in the oven and you couldn't hardly eat it no matter what you did. How much yeast does it take to make a loaf of bread? Very, very little bit. But it affects the entire loaf. You know what? The kingdom of heaven is not supposed to control society as a whole. It's an insignificant thing, but it affects everything that goes on. You see, we have these people out there that think that the church and the state have to be merged together in order to have peace and direction in society. I want to challenge you that this idea of separation of church and state was found in the Word of God. That individuals have a responsibility to God for their behavior, and the church has a responsibility to teach the world in which it lives what is true and what is not. But you cannot have the church running the state, or the state running the church. Say, so, well, what about Israel in the Old Testament? Israel is not the church, my friend. Israel was the people of God. There's a difference there. Jesus planted his church at a time when the 
civilized world, if we could call it that, the known world was ruled by the Roman Empire. And, of course, the Roman Empire was known for its great morality and justice and niceness to people. No. The Romans were known for their cruelty, their tyranny, and their domination of mankind. Because that's how you rule an empire. And if you don't do those things, you don't rule an empire. It falls apart. Study Greek history. That's what happened. They got tired of doing things, and so they just quit and let the Romans take over. It's basically a summary of history of that period of time. Jesus said the church is not here to tell Caesar what to do. But Caesar has no right to come into the church and tell it what to do. He put it this way to the Pharisees, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. I think that would solve some problems today. Uh, But let me tell you something. How many of you know anything about American history? Of course, they don't teach that anymore. But let's go back in time a hundred years. Just before World War One, do you know that the influence of people who believe this book determined every major political decision that was made in this nation? I'm not saying it was a Baptist nation. I'm not saying it was a any specific, and the men who designed this country and built this country, brought it into being, were not wanting it to be a member of one religion. But let me tell you, what was the crime rate in 1914? How many laws did they have on the books regarding divorce in 1914? Anybody like to do some research and look it up? I'll tell you, there weren't many because it wasn't the issue that it is today. In fact, there weren't a lot of laws regarding marriage. That happened in the church. And you kept the records in the family Bible. When they built the first automobiles, they didn't have keys in the ignition. It was just a push button to start it. You know why? Oh, it was because of the microchip. No, they hadn't invented that yet. You see, keys aren't secure enough today, so we've gone back to the push button, which is from the 20s. But we put a microchip in the dash that won't allow you to push the button unless you have the right code in your chip. Um, we've come a long way, haven't we? But has it been in the right direction, my friend? You see, the church doesn't have to control the state to influence everything that goes on. If the people who go to church who are part of the kingdom of God, actually allow Jesus to rule and reign in their hearts when they leave the church. 
makes a difference. You think things are bad? Just take the church out of the situation and wait and see what happens. The Bible tells us that's going to happen. It's called the rapture. It's going to take the church out, and then things are really going to get bad. Do you know why? Because the leaven won't be there anymore. Someone said, well, leaven's always a picture of sin in the Bible. Well, I want you to understand something. In this illustration that Jesus is giving, he's talking about the world being influenced. You know what? The world thinks that what we do in here is absolutely nuts, do they not? Anybody who would believe the Bible has got to be totally crazy. Uh, what our governor say? If you don't believe in abortion and you don't believe in sodomite marriage, there's no place in this state for you. Well, he was talking about other politicians. But I'll tell you what, he doesn't have the right to run off all people who believe in this book called the Bible. And we're still going to be here till Jesus takes us out. You see, the world thinks we're poison. But if we'll just stick with the Word of God, we're going to have influence and sway. And we do. And we better keep going. You see, it's not our job to determine what everyone else does. It's our job to just be obedient to the Word of God. The church will naturally do the things that God intends it to do by just simply being a church. That's why I don't endorse political candidates and we don't go around doing all these things that some churches do. Because that's not our job. If every person would be a part of the kingdom in the way that they should, it'd be different. Just like... A little tiny bit of leaven changes a whole lot of dough. Got just a few more minutes, but just a couple more. Let's skip down to verse 45 and 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth. And for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth the field. Again, verse 45, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant seeking goodly pearls, who when he hath found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. These two parables are together. Just like the first two, the last two that we read, a little leaven, a little seed has a lot of influence. This one says that there ought to be an urgency concerning the kingdom of heaven. Now, in the old days here in the United States, I think it was 1849, some guy was up at a place called Sutter's Mill in California and began kicking around in the dirt. And you know what he found? Gold. And so men began leaving everything they had and going to California and digging in the earth trying to get gold. I like what the one fellow said. He said, I don't want to be the one that finds the gold. I'd rather be the fellow that sells the picks, the shovels, and the blue jeans. 
made a fortune. But if you found treasure, if you found money, now in this day and time, if you found something, uh, call the police, all right? It's probably drug money. You don't want to take it somewhere and get yourself killed. Amen? Just make sure the FBI, the police get there quickly, turn it over. And if nobody else claims it, then they'll give it to you at the end of six months or whatever the time period is. But in this day of time, they didn't have all those things. And if you found a treasure, maybe uh, the Canaanites that were in the land had hidden the treasure and you found it. If you owned the field, the treasure was yours. Now, if you knew that there was... $10 million worth of treasure hidden in the field. And you could buy the field. What would you do to buy that field? He said there was some urgency there. He sold everything he had and went and bought the field. It gives a second illustration of the pearl merchant. Now, there's just something about pearls. They're beautiful, are they not? They tell us that Queen Cleopatra bought an entire army and financed a war with one pearl that you could hold in your hand. This pearl merchant knew what good pearls were. He was seeking only the best. And when he found that one pearl that was his dream... It says he sold everything so that he could possess that one item. We don't get it. We don't have that kind of urgency today. But I'll tell you this. The kingdom of heaven is greater treasure than anything you could find in a field. It's greater treasure than any gem that is on display in any museum in the face of this earth. But if you're going to get it, you're going to have to give up everything to get it. There isn't room for your designs with your life and following the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to enter that kingdom, you're going to have to esteem the riches of God greater than the treasures of Egypt and the pleasures of sin for a season was Moses' testimony. And then we come down to verse 47, and we're almost finished. It says, Again, the kingdom of God is likened to a net that was cast into a sea and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just and shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus goes on to explain a few other things about parables, but this parables in this chapter is done. You see, there's coming a time when God is going to take up every soul that's ever lived and it's going to stand in judgment before Him. You know what? There's not going to be any messing around on that judgment day. 
You aren't going to be able to hire some high-powered attorney to get you off. You will stand before God all by yourself. And you will be condemned or you will be rewarded according to what you have done. You say, I I thought my salvation was by Jesus Christ. That's exactly correct. See, Jesus takes away your sin. That's why he said it is finished. And if you've brought your sin to Jesus, then he will reward you for your service for him. If you say, I will try to take care of my sin myself, you will be judged by your sin and you will be found wanting. That's what the great white throne judgment is in the book of Revelation. Now, Jesus said, these are truths connecting about the kingdom of heaven. The first is the seed is going to be sown. There's going to be different responses. Some are going to accept it. Some are going to bring forth fruit. Some are going to bring forth much fruit. Some are going to bring forth less But among the good are going to be the tares, the weeds. It's not our job to try to figure out the difference. It's our job to serve God. Amen? It's not our job to try to find significance in this life and in our service for Christ. It's our job to serve Christ. And in that service, there will be significance with the mustard seed and with the leaven. But there's got to be an urgency, my friend. If there's something that you want to hold on to with Jesus Christ, you're not going to get to field with the treasure in it. You're not going to obtain that most precious pearl. There's got to be some urgency, some desire, some getting rid of self. Last of all, it is God that's going to sort everything out. And he will leave no stone unturned, we may say, or no fish examined as in the net. The good are going to be cast in, uh, harvested, brought into the vessels and kept. The bad are going to be cast into a furnace of fire. It's talking about the lake of fire. The question is, Where are you in these truths concerning the kingdom of heaven? Say, well, I'm not doing much. I'm not thinking much. I'm not. Well, better be careful. Could be that stony or that thorny ground or maybe even that wayside. God's capable of breaking up that ground and making it work. But only God is. That's why we get back to that urgency thing. So many people strive for significance in this life. They want a legacy. They want to be noticed. They want people to understand that they're really important. You can always tell when you're driving among them because they have to be first at the stoplight. They have to cut you off so they can get one car ahead. Hey, listen, it's not my job to worry about that. 
my significance will be in my service for Christ. But if there's something I harbor or want in my life that I won't give up for Christ, I'm not going to win it. And every one of us are going to be judged. These were the stories that Jesus told. And every one of us in our room are in these stories somewhere. We're going to take just a moment ask the Holy Spirit of God to open our eyes that we can see where we are and that what God needs to do in our hearts. Let's pray.